Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophist, the podcast where we take you through the major news and topics facing importers and manufacturers in China and Asia today. Hello, everybody, and welcome along again to China Manufacturing Decoded. This, of course, is Adrian from the team, but I'm joined by our CEO Renault. And this is our one hundredth episode, so it's quite a celebration today, Renault. Yeah, right. It's it's a big number. It's impressive, actually. <laughs> so uh, yeah. we're doing something a bit special today. Yeah, yeah, we are normally. And I mentioned this in an email that we sent out to everybody.、Um, and normally, we choose a topic which is helpful, relevant. Sometimes we get guests on who are in the industry and they share some, you know, cool information. But this time we reached out to all of our listeners and asked the question, you know, what what do you want to talk about? What do you want to know about? Do you have any issues or, or or questions that are bugging you that you want answers to from Renault? And so this episode is all about you and. Loads of people got in touch with us, which was great, and people just got in touch to say, "Hey, we enjoy the podcast. That's that's awesome news, and we love that." And、uh, quite a few questions came in as well. So you're going to basically go through a number of the questions and try and、uh, give some really really helpful answers, Renault. Right? Let's try. Let's try. Yes. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, let's get started with、uh, with the first one. I know you've got a few、yeah. to tackle, so yeah, take it away. All right, I got a list. I'm going to go down the list, you know, one by one. First one about is about a、um, a question from someone who's been in in China and working with Chinese suppliers for for more than twenty years, and he's looking at the geopolitical climate and the, the recent uh, events, mm. uh, and he's. He's asking if、uh, if we should worry at all with you know the the, the fallout from the sanctions around uh, uh, against uh, Russia and the attitude of the Chinese government. You know, should we worry worry about that?、Uh, it seems like nobody's really worried about it.、Uh, what do you think? Well, I think he's absolutely right. I think we should be worried. The Speed of the reaction against Moscow has been amazing. You know the the, the G7、uh, and 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 the EU,、uh, all you know, and and NATO all together. You know, pushing for sanctions and sort of actually pushing Russia out of globalization, sort of, or、mm. his out of globalization with the West has been amazing. And Beijing has certainly taken notice, and they are quite. Prudent. They are not saying anything. You know, they're not saying that they support Russia really. However, they also definitely don't say that they support Ukraine, and they just reaffirm their "quote unquote" unlimited、uh, partnership. You know, with with Moscow. So,、um, does that mean that? China might、um, be targeted by the same sanctions. No, but it seems like they're not really worried, or at least they are.、Um, they are not totally afraid,、uh, and it just takes one incident,、uh, a bit of a flare-up、um, somewhere in the South China Sea, 
and a little bit of an overreaction and would be just one step away from, uh, you know, trying to push China out of, out of globalization, at least with the West. Uh, yeah. that, and that would have an enormous impact on, on all economies pretty much uh, in, in the world. I mean, pushing China aside, uh, sorry, Russia aside is going to have an impact. You know, inflation and, and, and lower growth to an extent, but with China, it would be such a gigantic wave uh, of consequences. It's it's kind of unthinkable, you know, to do anything um, so suddenly. So anyway, let, let's let's see how the situation develops. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't think that's in the cards, uh, but we mm. should, yes, we should worry. Any company that, that is seriously invested in China should realize that the risk and the, the amount of uncertainty is not going down. It's, it looks more like it's going up. Um, mm. It looks like there's sort of an alliance of, quote-unquote, the West, and now there's sort of an alliance of uh, Russia, China, and they're trying to pull India into it because India is very tightly related uh, with with Russia. Um, mm. They're not exactly best friends with, with Beijing, but hey, who knows? You know, let, let's see where all of this goes. I think India will definitely just try to remain neutral. And that's probably the smart thing to do for them. Let's see where this goes, but we might be in a very different situation in five years. Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to predict what Beijing are thinking, isn't it? It always has been because they yeah. don't do things very overtly. I mean, a lot of my friends in the UK have asked me, as the resident China expert, that is, that's, I'm not a China expert, by the way, but they've asked me, you know, well, are China going to mediate here? Are they going to, you know, take a stand against Russia and whatever? <laughs> to be honest, it's, mm. it's, it's really, really hard to say. Uh, my, my view is that China usually don't want to be involved in, you know, territorial disputes because they don't like people dictating about their own territory and things, you know, yeah, within exactly. their own borders. So my view is that they would probably say, you know, uh, things should be handled by the people who it's relevant to. And, and are they just going to wade into something like that? Maybe not. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's certainly a difficult time. And there does seem to be more polarization between the East and West, for sure. Yes, yes, definitely. So let's watch for the, the developments. Mm. Another question was about someone who buys medical products, medical devices, and he was asking about his quality control policy. He was asking what inspection level uh, should we use and what, um, and I guess also he was asking about the AQL limits. And well, if you buy, if you buy medical devices, it, it really depends uh, because if you buy an expensive class two or class three device, you, you know, where, where for people who are not familiar with that, it means that it's, it, you know, the risks are high. The risk of impact to, uh, to the patient's health is high. Well, in that case, uh, you don't want to use acceptance sampling at all. You, you want to, um, you want to make sure that manufacturing and testing and everything at the factory is so good that the likelihood of 
any defective unit being sent to let's say to a hospital is extremely low so mm. you know accepting sampling is really uh, not the right approach here so forget about inspection levels and, and aq limits and everything now medical devices is, is very very wide if you look at class one devices it could be uh, could be eyewear frames you know glasses uh, it, it could be it could be a number of things and in, in these cases it's it can get much closer to consumer goods uh, if it's a um, you know if it, it's not intrusive it's it's not it doesn't have to be sterilized etc cetera, etc cetera. very simple product that yeah might get in contact with the skin but that, that's about it and if it's defective it doesn't have any um, high risk uh, failure mode you know high severity risk in that case yeah, you can use acceptance sampling, like, um, you know, as used for many consumer goods. And you, you you might go with, you know, what what the acceptance sampling standards tell you, you know, go for uh, normal severity level two uh, by default at first, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to the accurate limits, if it's cheap, if it's a cheap product and the defects would be, pretty easy to to notice and it's very easy to replace a product by another you might even go for a 2.5 percent for major and for 4.0 for minor right if it's a more expensive product if a failure of the product or a defect on the product might lead to a risk for the for, for the user or the patient well then you want to be much stricter and the, the equal limits might be, for example, 0.65 for uh, for major. But, uh, really, it's it's hard to give a very um, clear answer, you know, without knowing more. Uh, medical devices mm. is very, very, very wide, very wide. Is anything that that that's used basically for uh, for treating illnesses or preventing even illnesses, you know, uh, without anything that that is not drugs, of course. So I think I'd leave it at that. And then we can get to the next question, which also started as a very general question. You know, someone from uh, Benin in West Africa and who asked how to improve the quality of products from China suppliers. <laughs> and I said, okay, what, what kind of product do you, do you buy? And he said, I buy bicycles and office furniture. And the problem I face is the products are not strong and they break. Okay, mm. so if you if you say the product is not strong and it breaks, first it's not uh, exactly you know strictly speaking it's not a quality issue. Quality issue meaning that it's because of poor manufacturing, right? This is related to the design of the products. They are designed with poor um, you know with a poor choice of components and, and materials. And they're assembled in a way that lets them break too easily. That, that makes them uh, not durable, not reliable. Usually we classify this as a reliability issue. Now, how, how to make sure that you buy products that are reliable? Well, there's two answers to that. Scenario A is that you are the one who designed a new product. And then you have it manufactured in China. Well then the reliability of the products is mostly in your hands. You need to specify 
tourism components and the manufacturing process uh, in a way that ensures that the products will be reliable, right? So if we take, I don't know, office furniture, for example, there's, I don't know, um, a file cabinet with drawers and the drawers, you know, there's some kind of sliders. And, and you know, if you, if you pick the right components here that are durable with good bearings and, and so on, it's going to last a very long time. Or, or, or you know, office furniture. Think of these, um, these office chairs that need to be thrown away after six or six months or 12 months because one of the wheels breaks. Mm. It's extremely uh, frustrating. And it's true. I mean, if, if, if I go in China, I go out and I buy a, an office chair for 150 RMB. That's what I'm going to get. Um, <laughs> there's, there's no way around that. Uh, but I kind of know about it. It's a cheap product that would be thrown away very fast, unfortunately, right? So in that case, I'm in scenario B. I go out and I buy a product that already exists. And if, if that's the case, well, you need to look at the product. You need to look at the materials and components it's made from. And you need to assess, okay, is this going to be durable or not? Uh, or as soon as there's going to be a stress a little bit higher is going to it's going to incur some uh, fatigue uh, over a number of you know usage cycles and it's it's going to break after whatever three months or nine months of of normal usage and you you can actually replicate that and the way to replicate that is with reliability testing mm-hmm. you know so for example on on office furniture if you look at the, um, the standards for importing that kind of furniture into the EU, for example, there are compliance standards. And if you look at the compliance standards, they actually say, you know, load whatever, 200 kilo on it for two hours, et cetera, et cetera. A, a good part of compliance of furniture is actually related to reliability. So you can have a lot of ideas this way about how to, how to test for reliability. And there's, companies including ours that can put together a custom plan that makes sense for your products you know bicycles same way there are compliance there's ISO standard about the safety of bicycles and if the bicycle passes these safety standards uh, the safety tests well you know they are somewhat reliable because a lot of there's a lot of stresses imposed on the on the products uh, as you know, uh, just simply by, by following these ISO standards, right? So office furniture and bicycles are really two product categories where I would say a buyer that does his due diligence and tries to do things by the book can really find some good resources. There's no excuses. It's really about searching for information and using it. It's all out there. There, there are uh, good, smart standards can be applied you don't need to be a uh, uh, an expert in reliability actually to to see how um, how to test these products, right? For some other product categories, is very different, but here it's related to safety, and it, there's already some good standards. So, yeah, in 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 a nutshell, if you want to stop buying products that break easily, you get to look at these products, get some samples, do some simple testing on your side. Arrange for reliability testing if you if you have some doubts if you want to make sure, uh, but that's the way you know. And don't don't go for the, the lowest price, of course, because the lowest price 
will always come with with cheaper components you know mm. most of the time and that's what um that's throwaway products that would be disappointing users and will go directly to landfill everybody's mm. losing here right including the, the environment of course so mm. you know pay attention to the, the products that you buy see how they are built and and think of how they can break and dismantle them and study them and maybe get get a mechanical engineer or an industrial engineer to to look at them and give you some comments you know a part of it is is relatively straightforward i would say so you can get those samples from your chinese supplier and have them Mm -hmm. sent to you know the the testing mm-hmm. lab or the testing company within China and get all the testing oh, sure. done and and get the advice before you've even placed an order. Correct. Yes. Correct. Mm. Yes. Uh, but even if you get sent some samples, you can start the analysis. Uh, if you get a little bit of a sense of uh, you know material science and product assembly, and, and if you yourself are you know think of it as a user. And you think of all the repetitive motions and the stresses, you know, the the weight and the shocks and so on. You, you're going to find some weaknesses in the design of the product if it's a cheap product that, you know, as I say, is a, is a throwaway product. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's great advice. I think many buyers listening, they'll be thinking, "Yep, yeah, okay." Uh, <laughs> yes, it's not, it's not just about quality. Uh, it's, no. it's it's about the, the the design of the product and what components were picked and how they were specified mm. and so on. Mm. All right. Another reader who responded and he asked, huh, so he asked two questions. I'm going to try to go through them without spending uh, an hour on each, but mm-hmm. these are very wide questions. So I'm sorry in advance if uh, if I'm not specific enough because I don't know the context. So the first one is any tactics to deal with volatile costs these days? Well, it depends where these volatile costs come from. You know, if if you look at the the RMB exchange rate against the US dollar over the past few years, it has tended to go up a bit. You know, I mean, especially if you look at the, the past year, but there's no real way to to compensate for that. Now, what might happen is that if you ask your suppliers to quote you in dollars, they might expect that by the time they get paid, the RMB will be stronger and the US dollar will be weaker. So they will, they might you know they might add another two or three percent just to cover that risk. If you do not think that's a risk, then you should get quotes in R&D. And then you can still say it will be paid in US dollar, but we agree on the quote in R&B. And it removes the, the risk for the supplier of, um, of seeing the R&B get, get stronger, right? Because mm. then they will still get the same number of R&B no matter what. That's, that's the idea. Uh, that's a simple simple approach. Or you can even get an account in RMB, maybe. You can ask your bank and then you can wire RMB to, to your Chinese supplier. More and more buyers have been doing that. Okay. Mm. Um, volatile costs, well, most probably you're talking about material costs that 
obviously push up the prices of the of the products so that that one is tough so first if the supplier tells you hey the cost of you know whatever aluminum is going up and there's a lot of aluminum in your product first you want to make sure okay is that correct or not and aluminum is a relatively simple product to track because it's it's um uh, there's an international price i think it's in the in the it's traded in chicago if if the price goes down in chicago your chinese supplier says it goes up it's not impossible but you can kind of challenge them a bit but the best is to get a price indication in in china you know for that specific grade of alloy or, or whatever and we've been tracking some of the most common material costs uh, at mm-hmm. feast for what for about one year now just because it's so um, so helpful to some of our clients and that comes from uh, an expensive database uh, maintained in, uh, by a chinese company and, and and obviously there's a lot of commodities we don't we don't pull out you know all of them just a few of them but by getting the 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 actual prices in China, you can see, you know, hey, maybe aluminum has been yeah, getting a little bit higher in the past months. But if you look at the past three months, it's only up 3% or 5%, you know. So then you can get back to your supplier and say, hey, we agreed on the prices 18 months ago. And if you look at the prices, it's, you know, it's only, you know, X percent higher. Or maybe it's, it's pretty much the same. Why do you push the price of the product up now? Right. In some cases, it can be um, it can be pretty a pretty good response, and then the supplier doesn't really know what to, what what to say. But for that, you need to have some data and show them that you have the data about the prices in China. Another another way, of course, is to redesign the product. Well, maybe you can you can use less aluminum in your product. Maybe you can uh, change to another kind of uh, material. Maybe you, you, you have to accept that that specific product is going to be more expensive, but you might develop a new product that uses cheaper materials and that will be sold at the price that the previous product was sold at. You might keep you know, both of them on the shelves, so to speak, at the same time. Sort of, you know, you go to an Apple store and yeah, you're still going to see the, the 12 and the XS or whatever they call mm-hmm. it. And they have several versions of it, right, at different price points. Well, same thing. I think more and more customers are used to seeing that. So you you, you can have several versions of the same product at different price points with different different materials, different ease of assembly, and so on, with with, with clearly different pricing, right? Some sometimes, yeah, you need to redesign your product to develop a new product. Volatile costs to get back to the question, well, is it does it have to do with electronic components? That mm. one, again, if you do not redesign your product, uh, that's really a tough one, a very, very tough one. Uh, a lot of projects of uh, development of new products are on hold, and a lot of productions actually of developed products are on hold because some of these electronic components. The, the price went from whatever you know, twenty cents to to thirty dollars. I mean, no, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but but the, the, the increases in prices have been spectacular. Plus, 
uh, the lead times to, to get them are very long. And a lot of people, you know, are very frustrated and they have to buy it on the open market in, in, in Shenzhen or in Hong Kong. And they never really know for sure, you know, is it a genuine part or, or a fake part? And even if it's genuine, what, you know, what, what's going on? You know, how long ago was it made and how has it been um, kept, uh, you know, out of humidity and, and, and so on? You know, is it still going to be as good as, as the good one? <laughs> mm. I mean, as the new ones, well, people are taking risks. Uh, it's not an issue of higher costs here. It's it's also an issue of, of higher quality risks and reliability risks. And people might, if they don't do the proper testing, they might find out about that uh, six months down the road when it's very, very expensive to have failures. So we could talk and talk and talk about that, but without knowing exactly what these costs are, it's it's a little bit difficult to, um, to go more in depth. Hmm. The second question was how to work with Chinese suppliers without being ripped off. Ah, well, I would say, hey, make sure that they don't, they don't see you as a, as a newbie. That, that is actually very, very important. Uh, make sure that they see you as a long-term uh, established customer, not a customer that is you know, unreasonable, that doesn't seem to have a good business plan in place, that uh, might disappear at any time, that keeps uh, referring to competition and seems to be eager to jump over to another supplier. You know, all of these are actually going to make your supplier more nervous. Um, you know, your supplier might put you in the category of the clients that we don't really care about right and that that's where they they might misbehave a bit also obviously selecting the right kind of supplier is extremely important you don't want to work with a supplier that has only been in business for one year that doesn't have a proper website or or anything that looks like it's really trying to be a established in the business uh, that that screams high risk uh, however if you see suppliers been in business for for years and uh, they can send you some some information for example some audit reports uh, from some of their customers they, they can talk intelligently about your product about your industry about compliance standards and so on you know you you, you will be in much safer, much better hands. You know, your project will be in much better hands. You will run a lower risk of being ripped off. Then, okay, these are sort of the basics, right? Don't go and work with companies that might be a scammer, or or don't sh- don't um, don't do things that make them think you are not a good customer. This is very basic, but if you do that already, your risk goes down quite a bit. Then try to avoid any payment terms that don't seem normal. If they ask for more than 30% upfront, that's not very good. Try to get them to sign a manufacturing agreement that, um, how to say, um, that is enforceable in China. 
um, if they are a Chinese company anyway, uh, or in, in their country, so that you can actually hire a lawyer and go after them if they stop responding and, you know, and have a bunch of your money, for example. And I'm not even covering you know, the case where you are developing a new product with them. That's you know, even more complicated. Basically, you need to do a lot of due diligence, but also you, you need to have the right kind of um, agreements. And we, we spoke about that earlier. There's a previous podcast episode. And yeah, I guess, I guess I'll leave it at that because it's, um, mm. we could talk for hours about these topics, but uh, without knowing the exact situation of, of, sure. of the person who wrote that, it's a little bit difficult. But, but related, related to all of that that you've just spoken about, about avoiding being you know, taken advantage of, we've done a number of different podcast episodes about building a good relationship with suppliers. Right. Of course, there's all the stuff we've done about IP protection and numerous blog posts. Actually, you only wrote about uh, manufacturing contracts and you know, some of the fears on, on each party's side. Just, just yesterday, uh, yesterday being the 30th of March, that's a very new blog post on mm-hmm. Sophiest. So yeah. Uh, yeah, all of this stuff we'll link to as well, of course. All right. Do we still have time for uh, another question? Perhaps we, we squeeze one more in. All right. Okay, then this is another reader who gave us six questions. Actually, <laughs> so I'm not going to go through all of them. We can keep some of them for later. Number one is how, yeah, how to work with Chinese suppliers that I don't know personally without being ripped off. Well, it's funny because it's the same um, kind of question that, that I just responded to. Yeah. I would say you don't know them personally. It doesn't really matter that much. You know, you get to to follow uh, good good due diligence, good business practices, uh, and, 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 and so on, as I mentioned before. Uh, and I'll cover the second question, and then we'll mm-hmm. keep the others for um, future episodes. Mm. So the second question is, how can I make sure of the quality of the product ordered if I'm not in China to supervise myself. Okay, this one, we need to break it down a little bit. First, the quality of the product ordered. Is the design actually durable and reliable? You know, to go back to the earlier question about the, the bicycle and the office equipment mm. uh, that, that breaks too easily. And um, that's part of what people call uh, bad quality product, right? So the the... You know, I already responded on on that uh, that point, right? It's possible to test the you know some samples and confirm that they will not break easily, uh, that the design actually is sound and that doesn't come with uh, glaring weaknesses that will lead to early failure of the product. Then, how to make sure that it's manufactured properly? So, again, we need to break it down first. Before you give the order, you need to make sure that they have the capability to manufacture it as you request. And that usually means auditing the factory, making sure, you know, do they have these processes in-house? What about their process controls? What about their, um, their, their quality system? So this will give you an indication of the, the risk of giving that kind of production to this factory then if you say okay we confirm let's go ahead you need to make sure that they don't subcontract right you need to make sure that 
factory that they showed to you or to your auditor is actually the factory that will make the the product <laughs> and we've mm-hmm. seen so many cases of subcontracting you know without telling the buyer even though the buyer had visited a certain factory and you know and said, yeah this is where we're going to make your order and then in the end that's not the case just because maybe the the factory is very busy or maybe it's some kind of printing company and they went for lower costs now as i mentioned just a little bit before you can have the factory sign a manufacturing agreement and part of that manufacturing agreement is to um, to set some penalties in case production doesn't take place at the, the appointed factory, you know, the factory that, that's authorized for production of your product. Now, the next point is the right factory is going to make the production of your product. Great. Are they going to buy components that are up to the quality standard, you know, because bad components will lead to bad product. I mean, there's no way around that, right? It's garbage in, garbage out. So if it's a large production, you might want to send an inspector there. As you mentioned, you will not be in China. Okay. And that's the case of pretty much all foreign buyers at this point in time. You cannot get into China easily. Well, there's a number of um, companies such as ours and a lot of others that have inspectors on the ground and can do product inspections on your behalf, right? So it's possible to do an an inspection of the components when they arrive at the factory before assembly uh, starts. Uh, Sometimes maybe the first process is to do cutting, you know, I don't know, for for textile or for uh, cables or there's a number of things where where they will start to cut and then they will they will do some work and then they will assemble the product, etc. In that case, it might be just before they start cutting. Uh, if it's not a large order, you might hold off and then wait until the first finished products come off the lines. And that's the case where you know you you have someone again, you 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 appoint an inspector to go to the factory, you check the first finished products. And if there are issues, it's like uh, <laughs> raising the red flag, right? You tell the, the people in production, hey, did you see that? Uh, this is not as per the, the requirements of the, of the, of the buyer. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the inspector will tell you, and then you have to communicate to the supplier to tell them, you know, to confirm if it's acceptable or not, and to get them to take uh, corrections, you know, to implement corrections immediately. If it's not a big order, if it's a relatively small order, then you can, again, you can hold off a bit and send an inspector later for a final random inspection where everything is uh, completed, pretty much everything is packed, and the inspector comes in, pulls some cartons at random, puts some pieces at random from the cartons, and really checks what is the average quality level, right? of the, the whole production. And that's the only the only time in the production process where that's possible. Uh, they can also check the packing, the labeling. I mean, the, the full product as it's going to be shipped out, right? Mm. That's the most common type of product inspection. Again, there's a lot of companies 
on the ground in China that can help you with that. And you should basically send your, your information to, to one of them and ask how they would go about checking your product. You know, how many samples would be checked and what's the price? If you let the supplier ship the products to you, well, that, that is a big problem. In case there are quality issues, how do you get back to them, right? That, that is really very, very, um, very high risk. So mm. Just one topic that I forget. Of course, you also need to have an idea about your standard. Make sure your, your, your supplier knows what you can accept and cannot accept, at least covering the big, some big mistakes that you can think of or maybe that you suffered in the past. This is um, this is something you you really really want to to communicate to your supplier because when that kind of problem comes up in production and either an inspector or maybe yourself once the products have been delivered in your country once you find that kind of problem you get back to your supplier they will have zero excuse right otherwise they're gonna say oh well you know other customers in your in your country, they accept this. Usually they know that for that kind of price level, they have to deal with that, blah, 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 blah. And this, of course, is infuriating to, 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 to buyers, but it's not such a bad excuse, actually. <laughs> it's, not, it's not easy for the buyer to just uh, get it out of the way. So try to make a list of the issues you really don't want to see and make sure that the supplier is aware of that and confirms that. Then they have no excuse when that kind of problem uh, comes up. Mm, Wise words there. Uh, I like it. And yeah, the expectations, they've just got to be set, haven't they? You know, you can't go into a relationship with the supplier and not tell them what you're expecting. And then if there are issues, be able to not punish them, be able to complain and and to get retribution because how are they supposed to know? Yeah, 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 right, right. Yeah, a lot of people go to China or Vietnam or India and think, oh, the manufacturers, they know everything. They've been in this business for a long time. They know the product much better than I do. Yeah, maybe, but they don't know what your market would accept or not accept. Mm-hmm. You have to tell them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it's not uncommon, right? It's, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of smiling here, but actually Every this day. is not an uncommon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, yes. Mm. Okay, great. Well, th- those are some cracking questions. I've loved this episode and and, uh, and it was really great to hear from, you know, a number of our, our listeners and uh, hopefully your answers have uh, really helped the people that ask the questions and, and otherwise as well. So that concludes the hundredth episode. So that's kind of like two years worth of, of uh, China Manufacturing Decoded that we've been doing. Right, right, right. Yeah, basically since COVID hit, uh, we've been trying to keep that alive and, and, and develop this podcast, yes. And if people have other questions, they should just send us an email or, you know, uh, or find us in, in some way, yeah, in some yeah. social media and uh, send, send us a message. Yeah, go through the contact page on sophies.com as well. That's always a good way. But but yeah, uh, open to any kind of questions or, or emails. So absolutely send them in. Yeah. Great. Well, normal service will be resumed next week when we'll be back on to selecting topics. And yeah, some of the questions that we didn't quite get to today, you're going to expand on those in, in future episodes. So we'll be looking forward to those as well. 
All right. Thanks, Adrian. And thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.